next picture, Joe. This is uh, Cooper's bedroom today. Um, and it's, by the way, I took this picture very, um, like, I was, the, the angle from which I took the picture uh, doesn't show the clothes on the floor uh, or the messy closet or any of that stuff. It looks like, it doesn't it look like perfect right there? But it was the only corner of the room that I could take where, where that would be the case. But I show you that picture to uh, show you like the whole, like, like what, what I get to live in now is a brand new house. And I can tell you that if not for the tornado, I would not get to have uh, the house that I live in. And everybody, every morning, every Sunday morning, you guys come in and turn around and look, there's muffins back there. Those muffins are the product of that tornado. Because my wife got this really cool oven. It's like a double oven, and one of them is a convection oven, and it, she can bake a whole bunch of stuff at one time. If not for the oven, you guys don't get muffins. And, well, like Kyle just said, praise the Lord, and I think he was joking. But, like, I think that miracles don't have to be my son's life was saved. Miracles can be God cares about your life enough to enter in and change something um, and give you something that you don't deserve. So the rest of this series, we're going to learn about big, grand miracles that change people's lives, that heal people, that, that cast demons out, that like really important miracles where lives are literally changed. But this miracle doesn't seem to be that big of a deal, but I want you to see that it is a big deal because at, at its heart, at its core, is Jesus is entering into somebody's life to change it. Last week, Dave on Easter defined miracle as this, the supernatural presence of God engaging with his finite creatures. A miracle is the supernatural presence of God engaging with his finite creatures. And just that definition alone is kind of like knee-buckling, right? Like this is God who spoke the world into existence and he wants to interact with you. Like that's a miracle. That this perfect, holy, wonderful, awesome, strong, powerful God wants to interact with you. Hear me say that. Um, he wants to interact with you. Um, four quick things. One of them I kind of hit on already of the attributes of this miracle. First, it seems to be a minor miracle. Just talked about that. It's more of a magician's trick than it's the work of the Messiah. Secondly, um, it's a private miracle. Jesus doesn't want a lot of people to know about this. He says to his mom, because my, my time has not yet come, I don't want this out yet, but I'm going to do this for you. Um, the, the third thing that I want you to see is this literary function. It, it's kind of puzzling. John, who wrote this gospel and the purpose of writing this gospel was so that people would know that Jesus was the Christ and he, they would believe in him. And he could have done, talked about bigger, more important miracles. But as a literary function, John's purpose is that we might see that God wants to engage in our lives. And then the last thing, uh, attributes of this miracle is that it reveals the doctrinal truth that miracles manifest the glory of God. And we'll, I think that that will, will kind of come to light as, as we continue to talk this morning, that this miracle reveals the truth that uh, 
the, the manifest the glory of God. So let, let's dig into the scripture. And again, uh, don't get so excited to see the water turn into wine that you miss the details of, of what's happening. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, the book of John. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Um, I, want you to, I want you to see something here. A lot of times we, we come to Jesus and we think about Jesus as like God, and he is. But I don't think we, we see a lot of times the humanity of Jesus. Like, Jesus was involved in people's lives enough to get invited to a wedding. Jesus is going to a wedding. I'm, I'm going, I've got a couple of weddings this summer that I get to go to. Um, one of them is for an old friend of mine named Chris. He's getting married, and he's invited uh, my wife and, and my family. Why has he invited my wife and my family to come to his wedding? Why do you get invited to weddings? Let's, let's, let me just ask that non-rhetorically. Why do you get invited to weddings? Give a relationship with him. All right? Perfect. That's a great, like, don't miss the detail here of Jesus. Like, he's engaged in people's lives. He has relationship with people. So much so that this husband and wife or this husband and wife-to-be thought, you know what, we should invite Jesus. And he's there, like, look, at, look. let's go back and read that again. His mom is there, verse 2. Jesus was invited to the disciples, to, was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So he's, like, it's a, this group of friends that just go to a wedding together. Don't, don't pass over the, the small detail there. Verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. In other words, I'm not ready yet to reveal who I am. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny. Woman. What's this got to do with me? Can you imagine a son and his mom in, in this conversation? And then, this is the part that I can imagine... His mother, verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like, this is so momly. Like, she's dismissive. He, Jesus says, wait a second, this is, this is not it. And, he, and he, she's like, okay, okay. You guys just do what he says, and then, like, walks away. Like, I want you to, to see the detail of that. Like, has your mom ever done that to you? Like, mom, but, but mom. And, and she's like, just do it and go away. And she, and she goes away. Um, and what, what I want to also look into, the, the detail here, is what must Jesus have done in the presence of his mom to get her to be in that place? Like, this is just, like, it's, we're so excited to get to the, to the details of the, of the, the water into wine, that we miss that. Like, there is a deep amount of faith in Mary. And there's a deep amount of understanding. Jesus just said, it's not my time, I'm not ready yet. But Mary understands that her son loves people and wants to engage in people. And understands that her son has something about him that can, that can fix this situation. And, and very simply, without a lot of grandiose, like, theological detail expresses faith. She says, hey guys, 
He's getting ready to do something really cool. Just do what he tells you to do. And then I think here's, the, here's something that I, I really, really want us to see. Um, I want to kind of insert this parenthetically because we, um, let's, let's remove ourselves from the miracle of the situation and understand that Jesus is telling us to do something. There's something happening in your world that Jesus is asking you to do something. What is Jesus asking you to do? Here, a miracle happens because people do what Jesus tells them to do. Here, a miracle happens because someone has encountered the miracle of Jesus and said, he's got something here to solve this problem, solve this dilemma. And here's the, like, the takeaway, the takeaway for you here today is that Jesus wants to do a miracle in somebody's life around you. And he wants to use you to, to accomplish it. What's, what's he telling you to do? Like seriously think about that. And this is like a, a device that pastors use a lot when I ask a question like this. And maybe you spend about a minute and a half considering this question that I just asked you. What's Jesus calling you to do? And then it's, it's dismissed. And now it's 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And it's whatever it is that you thought of that Jesus was telling you to do. It's far from your mind and it's over. But, but I, I, I need you to hear this. What is Jesus telling you to do? And your answer to that question could be somebody's miracle. Think about that. Think about the detail of this story. Jesus tells these people to do something, and then they do it, and a miracle happens. God enters into a difficult, hard situation in somebody's life because someone listened to what Jesus told them to do. Let me ask a different question. What have you not done that Jesus told you to do? That might be a little bit more personal. What have you not done that Jesus told you to do? Um, So... Rick is not very, um, like, I'm not really that interested a lot of times in helping people. Jen is very interested in helping people, and she's kind of worn off on me. This week, we saw a lady pull into a parking lot, and her, uh, she had just gotten a flat tire. I'm like, babe, this lady's by herself. We should go help her. And before Jen, that would have never entered my brain. I'd have been like, oh, <laughs> and kept going. But, like, we stopped, and we helped this lady change her tire, and there's a whole, like, month of darkness that's been in this lady's life. And, and Jen's like, we're literally in the, the old, old shop and save now, Schnook's parking lot. We're literally in the parking lot, and this lady is hugging Jen and crying. And I'm getting my clothes dirty. But, like, I, I hesitate to say that because I, I don't, I don't want you to see anything other than like Jesus is calling you to enter into people's lives. I thought this lady was by herself and she might need help changing her tire. What really was happening is this this woman needed to cry and hug on my wife's shoulder. She could have she probably had I mean it was a nice car. She probably could have called somebody and and paid for them to, to fix her tire. She didn't need me there. 
but like, and then we were able to kind of engage in her life. But here, here's the thing, like this, I, I don't have any idea who this lady is. I, the likelihood of me seeing her again, I, I don't know. But for a moment, because we said yes to Jesus, he entered in. And so what is like, I don't need, I need you to see this. Jesus is telling you to do something. Because he wants to do a miracle in somebody's life. And he wants to interact with somebody. And he's going to use you to do it. And that's, like, that's incredible, isn't it? That the God of the universe wants to use you to enter into somebody's life. I find that knee-buckling. Verse 6, the guys actually begin to do what Jesus tells them to. Now, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. So if these are holding 25 gallons of water each, they say 20 to 30. So we're going to say six jars at 25 gallons. you know how many bottles of wine that is? It's about 750 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine. Right? You're, you're, the, you're the wine girl. That's a lot of wine, right? All right. Thanks, Sierra, for confirming that 750 is a lot. You went to school a long time for that. Good job. Way to go. Uh, There's a lot of wine that's here. But I I want you to see, this is something that I saw for the first time this week, and I've, I've read this hundreds of times and preached it several times. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. The purpose of these jars is to hold water for a religious ritual. And the Jewish people are, are, are very, like, it's really important for them before they go to worship or before they go to eat to be completely clean. And it's, it's a religious ritual. Before I go to eat, I'm going to clean myself up. And we're at a wedding feast. So these jars were there filled for, they're there for a very specific purpose to clean people so they can eat. If they don't clean themselves before they eat, everything is going to be jacked up. If they don't clean themselves before they worship, everything is going to be messed up. But here, these jars are, are not used for that anymore. And this is, this is the, the part that I found this week, that if when this happens, when there's no longer water here but wine in these jars, the jars are now, like, they're useless for their intended purpose. Like, they can never be used as cleansing jars again. Jesus could have done anything that he wanted to do to make wine. What he chose to do was to make the device for a religious ritual useless. You hear me talking to you? That's incredible. Jesus exchanges religion for relationship. In this moment, he could have, like, he could have just said, wine, and bottles of, 750 bottles of wine would have showed up. But he wanted to, to, to make a point here that there is, like, celebration is more important than ritual. Isn't, isn't that good news? Celebration is more important than ritual. Relationship is more important than religion. Why, again, remember, Jesus is there because he's in relationship with people. We could, we could use those, those purification jars, but then that's going to mess those purification jars up, and we, won't, we don't want to 
No, Jesus is like, I'm going to destroy ritual. I'm going to destroy religion because I want to celebrate with my friends. Like, that's a, that's a simple detail, and I've missed it every single time I've ever read this, this passage. So easy it is for us to miss these incredible details. Jesus, look at me, Jesus wants to destroy your ritual and celebrate with you. Why? Because he loves you. Like, we were talking about this last week, Good Friday. Next year at Good Friday... We're having a party. Like Good Friday, it, and I think it's right to like reflect and dark and be somber, but there's also a reason to celebrate. Jesus wants to tear down. Jesus in you wants to tear down what you see as ritual, what you see as religion, and, it's, and replace it with his friendship. And... Let's go back to what I just said a few minutes ago. Jesus wants to use you to do that in somebody else's life. What's he telling you to do? Why aren't you doing it? He wants to replace ritual with celebration. He wants to replace religion with relationship. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up again to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water had now become wine and did not know where it came from, the servants who had drawn the water knew. Only a few people in this story knew what had happened. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Again, a detail. Jesus is extravagant. He is, his love and his care for you goes beyond anything that you can imagine. He wants to give the best to you. Verse 11. This is the first of his signs. And John uses the word signs, but the, the Greek definition is close to our word for miracle. Jesus, this is the first of Jesus' miracles. Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Like, we've seen a lot about the details, but this is this is the hammering point. This is like, the big overarching here's our series on miracles point is verse 11. The point of it is to manifest his glory and so that his disciples would believe in him. The point of every miracle that happens is for the disciples and you to see the glory of God. Let me say this uh, to you. Jesus cares about the details of your life. Jesus cares about the details of your life. Just like these details that that don't really matter. Like us having, uh, Jen and I getting to live in in what amounts to a brand new house doesn't, doesn't really matter. Other miracles that happen in your life, when God is entering in and engaging in your life, like 
it's not that big of a deal. But Jesus cares about the details of your life. I feel like I want to say that again. I feel like I really want you to listen to me right now. Jesus cares about the details of your life. Do you, do you know that? Jesus cares about the details of your life. The details that you don't think make much difference, that you don't think matter much. If, if Jesus had not turned the water into wine, it would have embarrassed this family, and in a couple of months, nobody would have remembered. But Jesus cares about the details of your life. The best way for him to care for us is to show us his glory. Jesus cares about the details of your life, and the best way for him to care for you is to show you his glory. Because the response of the one who sees his glory is to believe. At the end of of the book of John, John says, I've written these things to you so that you might believe, and in believing you would have life. I, I hesitate to say this because it sounds like prosperity gospel. But Jesus intends for you to be so intensely happy that you can't believe it. Do you, do you walk around life understanding that Jesus wants you to be so intensely happy that you can't believe it? And the path to that is believing. And the path to believing is to behold his glory. What do you think those servants thought when what was now water is now wine and it's not just wine, it's incredible wine. Holy cow, this guy. And now they are just like Mary who had seen something beautiful from Jesus in such a profound way that when she sees a a situation, her first reaction is to go to Jesus and say, fix this. The glory revealed brings belief and belief brings life. This is the point of miracles. And here's the beautiful part about this scripture and about this Bible. And is that Jesus is inviting you into this mission. Seriously, I like probably the, the thing that you could do for me that would make me the happiest in the whole world is to send me a text next week and say, Jesus said this to me and this is what I did for it. Not that you care about like, oh, you know what? I'm going to make Rick happy. But like, seriously, this is the, the purpose of all of this. It's to make the glory of our Jesus re- renowned. To engage it and then to go engage with it. Um, I want to I tell you a story. We're about, I'm about to be finished. And... Um, we're about to sing a song and there's a miracle behind this song. Uh, the first song we're going to sing is There's a Fountain Filled with Blood. and It was written by a guy named William Cooper. And here's his story. He was, bear with me while I, I read this to you. He was, a pri- he was privileged to be born into the home of an English clergyman while his mother was from a prominent family of English royalty. He was educated in private schools and earned a law degree And with that degree, he later passed his bar examination. In spite of his intellectual achievements, 
William Cooper was physically frail and emotionally sensitive throughout his childhood. His mother died when he was only six years old, and he was unable to properly deal with his grief as a small child, and it stayed with him throughout his life, and he never stopped grieving for his mother. Even though he passed his law exam and he was licensed as a lawyer, the very prospect of of appearing before the bar and the magistrates frightened him to the extent that he had a mental breakdown from which he never recovered. As a result, Cooper never practiced law, but preferred the study and writing of literature. And he had an unhappy love affair that resulted in an unsuccessful suicide attempt. He was, therefore, after his grief and his suicide attempt, placed in an insane asylum for 18 months. While confined in the asylum and suffering from prolonged periods of deep depression, he would spend much of his time reading the scriptures. Remembering his spiritual upbringing as a child and his concern for the eternal destiny of his soul, he struggled with the question of salvation and peace with God. One day, while reading the book of Romans, he was confronted with the words of the Apostle Paul who said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a satisfaction through faith with His blood, to declare the righteousness for the remission of sins that are past for the forbearance of God. While admitting His need for personal redemption and the sufficiency that is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ our Savior, being convicted by the Spirit, William Cooper realized a personal relationship with Christ for the first time at the age of 33 years old in an insane asylum. A few years after he got out of the asylum, he went to church with, uh, with the writer of Amazing Grace. And they began to just write, uh, write songs together, write poetry together. And the result of William Cooper's interaction with Jesus is there is a fountain filled with blood. We're getting ready to sing in just a second. And the beautiful part about that, the the only reason that I bring it up is because it fits into this. Like Jesus wants to and is entering into your life with himself. And Jesus wants to take that and have you enter into others' lives with Christ and his love for you. And so we will interact with the miracle that happened to William Cooper in just a minute. And, and as you sing it, I want you to think about his story, and I want you to think about my question. What's Jesus calling you to do? Then I want you to stop just singing about it and go and do. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your son, Jesus. Thanks for, uh, God, thanks for the miracle of the lives of my children. Thanks for the miracle of my house. Thanks for the miracle of my marriage and of this church. God, I don't deserve any of it. I know the depravity of my soul. And I don't deserve any of it. God, you have somehow in your grace, seen fit to enter into us and enter into our lives and our details and love us and show us your love, Father. God, I pray for opportunity now to remove ourselves from our situations and look into our lives 
and see your presence as a miracle. And God, would we be changed? Would we see your glory? And by seeing your glory, would we believe? And would that belief lead us to life? Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name.